Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello, welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I am finally back home. I've gotten enough sleep. I've had a chance to tame my crazy yard that became a jungle in the two weeks that we were gone. And I have a lot of ideas that I can't wait to share with you here on the podcast. But before we get into any of those things, I want to answer some of the concerns and the questions that have been in my message box, and I'm starting to catch up on those. Now, if you've sent me a message, if you've sent me an email, if you've sent me some sort of communication, and I have not gotten back to you yet, I will get to you. I promise. I just really created boundaries around my vacation time. It's really hard for me to rest. It's something that I'm still working on. There is a part of myself, if we're going to talk in internal family systems language, there's a part of myself that really struggles with resting that feels like something bad will happen if I allow myself to relax for too long. And I really wanted to practice with that part of myself over this vacation, allowing my nervous system to relax, allowing that part of myself to feel safe. And allowing that part of myself to actually just enjoy life. And so I actually did a lot of internal work while I was gone on my road trip and allowing myself to just sit and be present and to work with any of the protestations or the discomfort that came up for me on the trip about just being and just allowing myself to enjoy life. And we are going to do a podcast about that upcoming because I know I'm not the only person that struggles with a part of myself that really has a hard time relaxing. So we'll talk about that in a future episode. But today, so many of your messages are saying, I'm sitting, I'm working with my parts, and there is a part of me that is coming up that is incredibly critical or harsh or judgmental of myself, and I'm finding it highly uncomfortable to sit quietly with myself because that voice comes up and says that I'm doing it wrong, I'm not enough, I am broken beyond repair, and that no matter what I do, I'm never going to get to a place where I feel peaceful, so why even try? And there are some of you that have even harsher, more critical voices that are saying even more difficult things. But just know that if you have this harsh, critical voice, It can be incredibly uncomfortable. It causes us all kinds of problems. There are several studies that have been done over the past 20 or 30 years that have shown a correlation between this kind of negative self-talk and anxiety and depression. And so if anxiety and depression are something that you struggle with, like I definitely do. I told you that back in 2010, I was diagnosed with clinical depression, and it was largely because I had this really loud inner critical voice that ironically was trying to protect me. It was trying to keep me from experiencing rejection, abandonment. 
It was trying to keep me from experiencing additional shame. And so if you're like me and you have this really loud critical voice or just a constant critical voice, mine wasn't incredibly loud, but it was constant. It was always on in the background saying what I was doing wrong, pointing out what I could do better, pointing out where I failed, pointing out where I wasn't enough. And over time, that really eroded my relationship with myself and my feeling of safety inside of my body and my ability to be compassionate with myself and resilient and accountable. And it also made me much more likely to be triggered by other people when they had critical voices because their critical voice triggered my own sense of unsafety with the part of myself that used this harsh criticism to protect me. And so that is what we're going to be focusing on today. We're going to be really looking at this critical internal voice, what it's trying to do, and how we can begin to befriend this part of ourselves and allow it to feel safer so it can relax and allow us to feel more at peace within ourselves and less triggered with other people. Now, before we go any further in the episode, I have a quick and easy ask of you. If you feel this podcast is helping you understand and accept yourself better, and if you feel these resources should be amplified so that more people have access to them as they deconstruct high-demand religion and family trauma, please take a couple of short minutes and head over to emancipateyourmind.org and make a $10 donation. It's so easy and it's tax deductible in the United States. So go to emancipateyourmind.org. The donation area is on the right-hand side at the top of the page under the words support the podcast and give a gift. Click the monthly donation button if you'd like to automatically fund the research and broadcast each month so that we can make sure that no person goes through religious deconstruction without emotional and mental support. This is so important to me. It's the whole reason I do the podcast. I don't want a single person to go through this experience alone or without the resources to heal and feel whole again. We all deserve access to those resources, and I appreciate so much how your donations make it possible for me to amplify those resources and make them more available to anyone who needs them. And the need is ever increasing. More and more people are beginning to deconstruct high demand religion and to want to heal their relationship with themselves and with others. And that can only do good things for our world. As we heal, the better able we are to converse and communicate with each other problem solve, the huge conflicts that are in our world, begin to move forward with solutions that are a win-win for all of us. And the more able we are to share power with instead of trying to exert power over. All of these ideas about power over and marginalizing people, they all come from a place of woundedness and generational trauma. And these resources help us to heal that so that we can have a better relationship with ourselves and then to bring that into our relationships with other people. So thank you so much for the ways that you allow me to contribute a small part to that healing in the world. All right, so let's talk specifically about what it looks like when we are working with this part of us that is self-critical, that is harsh, 
that is judgmental, that is shaming. And let's figure out what's going on and how we can approach this part of ourself in a way that makes it feel safe. So often the parts of ourselves that are really loud, that really get in the way of our ability to move forward, many times the reason they are so loud and are so dominant in our lives is because they're operating from a place of intense fear. And so creating a space of safety for this part of ourselves is going to be paramount. Now, in all conversations where we're working with inner parts, you're going to want to come to this conversation from a place of openness. So trying to be as open and non-judgmental and curious as possible is going to help these parts feel safe enough to begin a relationship with you. Now, as you do this work, you're going to feel other parts that come up and try to protect you from the critic. Just know that that's going to happen. There are going to be parts of you that don't like the critic, that think it's mean and it's a bully, that think it's wrong. You might even have parts that try to criticize or judge or shame the critic part of you. So have you ever felt yourself in a shame spiral where you get triggered? So that trigger is usually a vulnerable, wounded childhood part, an exile, as we call it, in internal family systems. So that part gets triggered, and what happens is you have a protector part that swoops in that tries to protect that vulnerable part of you that it's afraid will get wounded again. So it steps in, and in the case of your inner critic, it steps in and it uses criticism and judgment as a way to keep you in line, to keep you from acting out where you might be vulnerable to external judgment or external shame. The way it sees it is if I'm really harsh and critical, I can keep you in line and bearing criticism from me is not as painful as bearing criticism from someone out there. And so what happens is your inner critic kicks in as a way to protect you. Now, it's a really twisted way to protect you. But remember, it's also a child part of you, and it is using criticism as a way to protect you or save you. But then this crazy thing happens. Sometimes we have another part that kicks in and is actually a bully to the inner critic so that you get this kind of shame spiral going on. So the exile is triggered. The protector comes in and starts criticizing. And then you might have another part that criticizes the criticizer. So now you've got meta shame going on. So you've got shame happening. You're shaming yourself to try to keep yourself in line. And then you're feeling shame about feeling the shame or shame about feeling the judgment. And this actually happened to me when I was first going through cognitive behavioral therapy back in 2010. It was helpful in some ways. Just being aware that I actually was talking to myself in this way was a huge step forward. I wasn't aware that I was saying so many mean, really shaming things to myself on a regular, constant basis. I wasn't aware that Throughout the day, I was telling myself that I was ugly, that people didn't like me, that people wouldn't want to be my friend if they really knew me. 
I didn't realize I was operating from this place of worrying that eventually I was going to be abandoned and trying to protect myself, even from my husband and my own child at the time. I only had one child. And in my head, all relationships led to abandonment. All relationships eventually ended. And I was constantly trying to protect myself in some ways by telling myself I would deserve that if that happened, that that made sense, that abandonment made sense because I wasn't perfect. And so I was constantly pointing out my imperfections to kind of soften the blow if I was abandoned, but also to try to hide those flaws so that I could delay abandonment for as long as possible. It really, really feels like a knife in my heart still to realize that that was what I thought at the time, that I believed that abandonment was inevitable and that I deserved abandonment and that I needed to hide parts of myself to avoid being abandoned. And I created a lot of self-fulfilling prophecies during that time. I would push people away. I would detach from people. And I can still occasionally get into some of those traits when I'm with new people or a new situation or I feel uncertain or I feel afraid. When I get into those places, sometimes those parts will come back online and say, hey, like we could cut and run. Is that something you would like to do? We could silently disappear from our friends. I can tell you're feeling uncertain. Is that something you would like to do? Do you want to desert people? Because that's how I would deal. And we will talk about attachment issues in the very near future because they all play in really nicely with this internal family system therapy. But because I was so afraid of being abandoned, I had a part that was incredibly critical. And so going to therapy... I was doing cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT therapy, and one of the best benefits of that was recognizing that this was a pattern in my life. Because remember, the first step towards healing anything is becoming aware that it's even there, becoming aware that it's a problem. So I didn't realize I was so disembodied. I was so dissociated from myself. I didn't realize that there was this background track that was constantly criticizing me because I was so dissociated from myself. I tried to just kind of stay outside of my body as much as possible. Cognitive behavioral therapy was really wonderful at helping me become aware, but for me where CBT fell short was I was trying to box up and exile this part of myself that was being self-critical. And I was trying to shame it. I was trying to drive it away. I was trying to turn it off by using thought-stopping methods. I was trying to ignore it and replace it with positive affirmations. And there is a place for all of that. All of that is incredibly useful. But for me, I found that many of the tools from cognitive behavioral therapy were most useful when used in the context of understanding that this part plays a purpose and its intention is to protect me that the part that's criticizing me isn't my enemy. It's actually trying to be my friend. That the part that's criticizing me is wounded itself and needs love and care and safety. And that I'm not trying to fight against it. I'm trying to befriend it and make it feel safe so it can relax and quit using that harsh judgment pattern that it's been using And maybe slip into something healthier for both of us so that we can repair our relationship with one another. 
And so using the tools like putting my thoughts on trial, which we've talked about in several past episodes, or using positive affirmations by like gently pushing back on this part and saying, I see that you're saying that I'm a failure. And while, yeah, I've failed in this instance or I've made a mistake in this instance, actually, I succeed just as much as I fail. Like, let's look honestly at this. You have a point. I did fail just now, but I also succeeded at this, 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 and this. So kind of just pushing back gently on that part and being like, I understand you are so worried about failure and what people will think of you, and you're so worried about being rejected and abandoned, but like, let's look at the bigger picture. So talking with this part of ourself like we would talk with a friend. Allowing ourselves to sit down and really get curious about this person, really get to know them, really understand what their intentions are, what are their motivations, what are their fears, and and can they envision a different way of doing things? And to come to that conversation with this inner part of ourself, this inner critic, not from a place of an agenda where we're trying to banish them or we're trying to make them change. But coming from a place of, I'm curious, I want to understand and know you, nothing you say is going to drive me away. I'm here to understand what it's like to be you, and I'm open to hearing what you have to say, and I'm going to ask you questions until I feel like I really understand. And those parts inside of us can really feel our intention to just get to know them versus having an underlying agenda of changing them, bending them to our will, or exiling them. And when they can feel that that's where we're coming from, they relax. And they're more likely to speak with us and more likely to tell us about what it's like to be them. Now, I find that working with our inner critic can sometimes be a little bit difficult simply because sometimes we identify with our inner critic Sometimes our inner critic is one of the loudest, biggest parts of ourselves because it's become so amplified as a way to protect us. And sometimes we actually depend on that inner criticism as a motivation. So we use the sort of unhealthy pattern of shaming ourselves to make us do things that we need to do in order to live life that we don't want to do. But we haven't learned that there are healthier ways to motivate ourselves. So sometimes we might stand in our own way of getting to know this part of ourselves or even wanting to get curious about if there's another way to do it because we have taken on this critical part as our identity or because we're utilizing it and relying on it so much to help us be motivated and we're so afraid that if we allow ourselves to consider something different that will become this kind of lazy, unmotivated mess. So notice any of that that comes up. And again, just get curious. This doesn't have to budge yet. The more you can sit in an open place of, I just want to understand this part of myself. And I understand that it's a part of myself It's not my full self because there are other parts of me too that manifest sometimes. And it may take some time to like start noticing those other parts. You might even ask close trusted friends, like, how do you see me? You might tap into other people you admire. 
Whenever we admire other people, when we notice their traits, it's because those traits are in us too. So if we're noticing people who are generous or we're noticing people who are resilient or we're noticing people who are brave, those traits are inside of us too or we wouldn't be able to identify them in others. So even using that as a mechanism to push back against this identity that we are this critical being, that we are this shaming voice, we are not that being, we are not this part, it is simply a part of ourselves. We also are many other different parts. We are not just this one part alone. So allowing ourselves to kind of gently push back on that and say, I see what you're talking about. There is definitely a part of me that is critical, that uses sort of a harsh shaming motivation to get me to do things, to be successful, to take care of myself, to pay my bills. But there's also a soft, tender part of myself. There's a generous part of myself. There's a part of myself that's compassionate and kind. So I can't just be this critical voice. I must be other things too. Even just creating that separation will allow us to sit with this part and just get curious and allow us to see it not as our full self, but as a part of who we are. It makes just a little bit of wiggle room for us to consider other possibilities. Now, once I'm in a place, I choose a quiet place. I usually sit right here in the closet where I'm at right now. This is one of the most insulated rooms in my house. It's just in a weird spot in my house. Um, It's surrounded by other closets. So I have that extra protection by other people's closets around me versus the rest of the house. And then on top of that, I've got all my clothes and my shoes and my skincare and, you know, just other things here inside of my closet. And so it makes it really insulated and cozy. So this is the quietest place in my house. And during the summer, such a big deal to have a quiet place to go. But this is where I go when I'm noticing that there's a part that is kind of coming to the forefront and it's needing some attention. So this is usually when, you know, I'm feeling really tender feelings that feel kind of prickly sometimes or they feel really overwhelming, Um, overwhelm, confusion, fear, even anger. These are kind of indicators that I have a part that needs some attention, that I've been triggered in some way, or even just like when I'm super tired or unmotivated. Sometimes I'll come here and I'll sit with myself and just kind of say, hey, Whichever part is feeling like this, I'm here to sit with you today. And I will get quiet. Sometimes I'll even put on my noise-canceling headphones so that I am really, truly just with myself and I'm not listening to any other noises that are happening in the house. And I will sit here and just allow myself to scan my body and look for that part of myself that is feeling whatever it is that I'm feeling, or that is engaging in some behavior that feels like it's contradictory to other parts of myself. So there's a part of myself that loves to take care of me, to eat green vegetables, to cook healthy things, but occasionally I'll catch myself in a pattern of eating pizza and fried chicken and drinking all the Dr. Pepper and all the chocolate milk, When I notice that I am reaching for comfort foods, 
It's usually because there is a part of me that needs attention. It's doing the opposite of what I usually choose to do for myself. And so when I'm doing that, instead of allowing that critical shame part to come in, because I will feel it come up like, all right, boss, you want me to go after them? Like I can tell them what a slob they are and how bad their choices are and how much they should be ashamed. Like I can feel it almost kind of come up and ask permission. Like, do you want me to fulfill my role? Should I go in and do something about this? And now my parts feel comfortable enough with me for me to be like, thanks for asking. I've got this. I think they need some attention. Someone's hurting. I'll figure out who it is. And so I sit down with myself. I usually put my hands on my heart or wherever it is. Sometimes it's on my stomach or sometimes it's even on my shoulders. But usually like I'll put my hands on my heart to just almost kind of remind myself that I'm here to be compassionate and open and to be curious It's almost like a physical reminder to me, like I'm here to get curious and to befriend this part. I am not here to shame this part or exile this part or judge this part in any way. It's doing the best it can with the tools it has. And so I get curious and I say, hey, I am here to talk to the part of me that is craving all the pizza and all the soda and the chocolate milk and hasn't eaten a vegetable in three days. Would you like to make yourself known to me? And I will sit there and wait. And that is one of the big keys. You have to be willing to be patient. I often picture myself sitting on my grandma's front porch. For some reason, that was just such a really like calming place in my childhood. I loved my grandmother's front porch or sitting underneath the peach trees in front of my house. These were two places I would go for peace in my childhood growing up. And so I often imagine that I'm either sitting on my grandmother's front porch watching, you know, people walk up and down the street, listening to the breeze blow through her crepe myrtle trees. And I'll either picture that I'm sitting there in the shade, feeling the breeze, sitting with another part of myself and just waiting for them to either show up or waiting for them to speak. And I just sit there patiently. Sometimes I imagine I'm drinking a glass of lemonade. Sometimes I imagine I'm rocking in a rocking chair. But whatever it is I'm doing, it's calm. There's no rush. I'm not in a hurry to go anywhere. All of my attention is just creating safe space for this part of myself to make itself known and then to speak with me. Once it makes itself known, I tell it how happy I am to see it. I'm not angry at this piece of me. I'm not upset with it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm glad that it's showing itself to me. Because the more it makes itself known to me and the more I can become friends with it, the more I can get to understand its motivations and what's happening behind the scenes. The more I understand that, the more we can work together to find a solution that's a win-win for both of us. So I sit there and I wait for it to show up. When it shows up, I tell it how happy I am to see it and how glad I am that it feels safe enough to sit with me. And once 
I feel that part of me start to feel comfortable and I say whatever I feel like that part needs to hear to know that this is a safe place. And if any other parts come up and are like, no, you can't talk to that part or, oh my gosh, this is dangerous. Now that I've done this work for long enough, I can usually talk to those parts and say, look, I know you're concerned, but you know this is safe. We've done this enough times. You know it's safe. I'm not giving them more work. I'm not giving them more space. I'm simply befriending them and helping them feel like they're a part of the family. So can you please step back and let me get to know your sibling? Step back and let me get to understand who they are and help them feel safe in this family. A lot of times what happens is the other parts are really worried that because we're giving this part attention that we're going to give them more responsibility or more power or control in our lives. And they don't want that because especially when we're working with the critical parts, if we sit down and we say, hey, I want to get to know this part that is really mean and critical and judgmental of the other parts. Sometimes the other parts are like, whoa, no, we're not befriending this one because this one is mean to us. So we don't want this one to have any more of a voice. And so sometimes I have to sit with the other parts, especially when I was first starting this work a few years ago. I had to sit with these other parts. I had to say, look, tell me what you're afraid of oh, you're worried that they're going to have more power and I'm going to listen to them even more and you're going to be shamed and controlled even more. Okay, that makes sense. But what if I'm able to talk with this part and befriend this part and understand why it's doing what it's doing? And what if it feels safer and it doesn't feel like it has to use such harsh and critical language? What if things get better for all of us? And sometimes what will happen is the parts that are afraid are like, okay, but what about this? And I do what I call creating a parachute. Like I think of anytime there's fear, I think of like jumping out of an airplane. So I call it creating a parachute. That's what gives us that faith that we're going to be safe, that we're going to arrive on the ground in one piece and alive still. So when a part of myself says, oh my gosh, but I'm so afraid. What if this happens? I'll say, okay, Well, let's work on a solution together. What's our plan if that happens? How will we handle that? This is what I'm going to do to keep us safe. And once that part of me knows that I've taken their fear seriously, that I've created a plan to keep us safe, often then they feel like they can relax and step into the background and allow me to spend time with the part that I'm trying to get to know, the part that feels dangerous to everyone else. Now, once we've gotten through all of the barriers that might get in the way, and once we've created this like safe, compassionate space for whichever part we're contacting, then I start to ask them questions. And I'll say, hey, when you harshly criticize me, what are you trying to do? And I don't do it in an accusatory way, just like help me understand. When you tell me that no one wants to be friends with me, what is your intention? What are you hoping to accomplish by saying that? And then I just sit quietly and listen. That is your biggest job when you're working with your parts, is first to create that safe space, and then second, to just listen. 
You're not there to fix this part. You're not there to change this part. You're there to understand this part. And I find that that takes a lot of the pressure off of myself to feel like I have to have answers and solutions to understanding like, I'm just here to get to know you. I'm going to hang out on this porch or I'm going to hang out under these peach trees with you until I feel like we're friends. And if you're super shy or you don't feel really safe, I'm going to keep coming back as long as it's okay with you to get to know you more until I feel like I really understand you. And the more I can come at these conversations that way without feeling like I need to fix myself or feeling like I need to change this part of me or whip it into shape, the more I can come to this place of I'm just here to get to know you and understand you, the more I make space for this part of me to talk with me and feel like it can trust me with information. So I start first with what is your intention? Now, with the inner critic, often it's trying to motivate us to achieve our full potential. So when it sees discrepancies between who we actually are and our idealized self, sometimes this harsh critical voice will come up to try to like whip us into shape. And I often think of that critical voice as like a like a coach. In some ways, did you ever have childhood coaches that like used a lot of like harsh language, like don't be a sissy or like there's no crying here, like get up, pick yourself up, stop with all the emotional crap and get out on the field. I played soccer for years and in club soccer in particular, I often had coaches that were like, rub some dirt on it, quit crying, get out there and could almost be like shaming or critical if you didn't like kick the ball right or use the plays that you had practiced or if you hogged the ball too much or if you weren't in the spot you were supposed to be in. So sometimes when I'm trying to motivate myself, it's a soccer coach's voice that I'm hearing. Sometimes it's the one that's like, you can do better than this. Come on, Terry, like get out there and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Like, don't be lazy. Keep going. Push through the pain. It's that voice that I'm hearing. It's my club soccer coach's voice that's in my head telling me to push harder, not to listen to my body, just to keep moving and to really test the limits of my potential and see if I can't do more, if I can't do better. But sometimes we have inner critical voices that are trying to help us to avoid embarrassment or shame or rejection. And we talked about that earlier. Sometimes they shame us because they think the shame that we receive from ourselves is going to be less painful than any embarrassment or shame or rejection we might experience from other people. And so it gives us this harsh criticism inside as a way to try to protect us from what it feels would be greater embarrassment or greater shame or rejection or abandonment outside of ourselves. Once I feel like I really understand what this part's intention is, and remember if you have things coming up like, well, I'm just a big bad bully, or I'm a monster, or I'm just broken, or something like that, that is not the part that you're talking to. It is another part protecting you from the inner critic. It's like a big crowded family that's all like pushing people around sometimes when we're in unhealthy spaces. Like we go to talk to one person and it's like, no, talk to me instead. You don't want to talk to that bozo. Talk to me. So if I ask it, what's your intention? And it comes up with something 
that is cruel or mean or dehumanizing. Like if I get a message like, I'm just a big monster and I like to bully people or something like that, then I know it's actually another part that stepped in and has answered for that part. And when that happens, remember, you can ask that part to step back, just like you would if you're talking to a group of siblings. You could say, hey, right now I'm talking to your brother. Please step back. I'm more than happy to talk to you later. But right now I'm talking to him. It's his turn. He gets the attention now, or she gets the attention now, or they get the attention now. Asking that part to step back, to quit answering for your inner critic, step back and let me talk to this part. And so you're going to wait until you hear vulnerable intention. You're waiting for vulnerability. You're waiting for them to tell you basically what they're afraid of. You're waiting for them to open up and show you kind of their soft underbelly. So asking questions and continuing to tell the parts that will try to protect you to please step back. Or if you need to, to change your focus to work with them, if they're too big and they won't step back, sitting with them and figuring out what they're afraid of and helping them build a parachute with their fear and helping them feel seen and heard and understood will sometimes help them relax until they can step back and you can come back to the part that you're trying to work with, with compassion and curiosity and non-judgment and calm and connection. Those traits that are yourself with a capital S. Once they've told you what their intention is, I find that so often the way I view the part changes because as long as I have a story that my inner critic is there to hurt me or that it is somebody who's hurt me in the past stuck in my head on repeat, I might feel anger towards it. I might feel loathing towards it. I might feel resentment. I might feel a desire for revenge. There's all of these things that might be broiling inside of me and everything that that critic says, I'm reading through that lens of you're abusing me, you're hurting me, you're not fair, you're a big bully, you're mean, you're a monster. And as long as I have that kind of judgment, I can't make progress. But once I understand that this part, no matter how maladaptive the behavior, is trying to be my friend. It's trying to protect me from further pain. It's trying to shield me from what it believes the worst case scenario is if it doesn't do its job. Once I understand what its intention is, so often I find that my heart softens and I become even more compassionate with this part of myself. I no longer look at this as a broken part of me. I no longer look at it as something that is horrible or monstrous or satanic or even like a piece of a bully from my childhood or somebody who was mean or abusive stuck inside of me, which is how I used to view some of my inner critical voices. So I no longer look at it as the enemy. I look at it as a friend that is using maladaptive behavior in order to try to protect me and motivate me. That changes everything. Once we understand what their intention is, Then we can ask curiosity questions that help us understand why they've chosen to use the behavior that they're using to accomplish their intention. So some questions we might ask our inner critic might be like, why do you need to be harsh? 
or what are you hoping will happen by being critical? Or my personal favorite, what are you afraid will happen if you aren't harsh or judgmental or critical of me? And again, I sit on that porch or I sit under those trees with them and I give them time to think it out and to figure out when they're ready to speak. The more space I can give them, the safer they feel and the calmer they feel. Now, a lot of times these parts of ourselves are worried that if they aren't intense, if they aren't really shaming or if they don't make us feel really bad, that they won't be taken seriously and they won't be listened to. And then my next favorite question to ask is, where did you learn this behavior? Who are you acting like? And where did you learn to act like this person? Allowing yourself to sit there and hear what this part has to tell you. But I find that for me, I usually get a visual picture. It's usually a flashback to some part of my childhood or some incident that happened. And they'll tell you whose voice they're mimicking. They'll tell you if it's your club soccer coach or if it's your mom or if it's your fourth grade English teacher or if it's someone at church or if it's the bully that was on the playground that told you you smelled like rotten eggs. They'll pinpoint whose voice it is that they're trying to mimic so that you'll take them seriously. And then, where did you learn to act like this person? So often when they bring up that scene, not only will you see the person whose voice you're mimicking, sometimes you'll get a glimpse into the exile that they're protecting. The hurt part of you that is still carrying shame or is still carrying embarrassment or is still carrying humiliation or is still carrying fear. So sometimes in this moment when you're asking them, who are you mimicking? What happened and where did you pick up this behavior? Not only will they show you who it is that you're mimicking and when that sort of took place, But sometimes they'll bring up an incident that maybe still needs to be healed. There's an exile that's still carrying trauma, whether little T or big T, from that incident and will also need some healing. We always work with our protectors first because our protectors are the ones that block us from having access to our exiles, the ones that are carrying those really deep, tender, vulnerable emotions. So by building this relationship with our inner critic, eventually they'll trust us enough that they'll step aside and allow us to talk to the hurt part of ourself that got told that they smell like rotten eggs and is now deeply self-conscious and is constantly checking to make sure that they have breath freshener, that their clothes are clean, they take crazy amounts of showers, they are constantly putting on deodorant, that sort of thing. It'll allow us to talk to that part of ourselves and to hear about their experience and to befriend them and to help them feel safer being themselves. But first we work with that protective part that usually we have some pretty awful feelings towards because those protective parts are sometimes mean and they're sometimes critical and they're sometimes harsh or they sometimes engage in patterns of behavior that hurt us or drive other people away and make us feel like we're abandonable, that we're not lovable. Another question that I got from 
Chris Burris. He's one of the leading trainers for the Internal Family Systems Institute. In fact, a lot of what we're talking about today comes from Chris Burris. He is a really compassionate speaker. I love listening to him talk about internal family systems because he often tells his experience and stories where Richard Schwartz talks about the research and I love that as well. And he talks about like how things fall into place. I love listening to Chris Burris because he talks about his own personal stories and how this works. So a lot of what I learned, I learned from Chris Burris and some of the resources he's put out there. But one of the things I love asking myself that I got from Chris that has really helped me with my inner critic in particular, but also the part of me that comfort eats and the part of me that runs away from relationships before people can get too close. Like I abandon people before they abandon me sometimes because I'm worried about abandonment. I find this question is a game changer for all of those parts of myself. Is there anyone that had a better way of doing this from your environment that might be a better person to mimic? So maybe I'm mimicking my club soccer coach and I'm like hammering it in that I need to be tough. I need to push through. There's no crying. There's no having emotions like you just keep going. Was there anyone else in my environment that was highly motivational but also allowed for feelings, that also allowed for personal needs, that also allowed for me to listen to my inner wisdom? Did I have anyone in my life like that? Now, some of us will have empowered mentors like that, and we can kind of point those out to our parts and say, look, we're imitating our coach. But our choir teacher was actually really wonderful at motivating us to push ourselves further and to succeed and to reach the limits of what we could accomplish. But look how they did that with motivation and with like pointing out what we were good at and also helping us see where we could improve, but not in a way that shamed us. How could we mimic that and still get the same result versus what our coach did? So pointing those things out can sometimes be really helpful. Like there's another way to do this that maybe is healthier for both of us and still accomplishes the same goal. However, some of us do not have empowered mentors in our life. And this is where we can use another method. I know in past episodes, we've talked about when we ask our subconscious a question, when we tell ourselves that we're looking for answers to something, our subconscious gets to work and starts scanning for information to help us make decisions. So this is where we can use that tool. You can tell your brain to start scanning, you know, for things in your environment to find an empowered mentor. You can say, I am looking for this specific kind of person. I'm looking for someone who accomplishes great things, pushes the limits of what they're capable of, I'm looking for someone who does this, though, with self-compassion. I'm looking for someone who is highly accountable but is not shaming of themselves. Help me find someone like that. It might take some time, but your subconscious will always be looking for newspaper headlines, conversations people are having, things that are on the TV, movies that you're watching, books that you're reading, and it will be scanning, looking for the answer to this question. So if you did not have an empowered mentor in your childhood or sometime in your life, you can find one. They're all around you. Tell your brain what you're looking for. 
and it will start scanning and looking for that for you. Now, finally, the biggest questions I ask my inner critic are, what are you afraid will happen if you stop being critical and harsh? We talked about that earlier. But then I like to ask, who are you afraid of? Sometimes the folks that were mean to us still live in our system and we develop parts to protect us from it happening again. I find that this is such an important question to ask all of our parts that are carrying some trauma, whether they're exiles or protectors. This is when we get to reparent our inner child. And there's an entire episode on that, reparenting your inner child from last year. Go and check that out. If you've gotten to this place and you have a very clear incident come up or a very clear person come up that you had conflict with, often there are inner child wounds there. And this can be a great time to go back and be the parent or be the caregiver that we wished we had in that moment. So allowing ourselves to go back and say, hey, this happened. Tell me about your feelings. You know, validating those feelings. And then saying or doing whatever you wish would have happened in the moment. And I find that especially when a caregiver didn't give us what we needed in the moment, especially if it was a consistent thing where our caregiver didn't show up over and over again in a certain way, that sometimes adopting our inner child. The way I like to think of it is I'm the new adoptive parent and I've been called by Child Protective Services to then go in and take my inner child from the past and bring them into the present with me where my adult self, myself with a capital S that is compassionate and curious and calm and connected and creative, that this adult self can now care for this inner child part of myself and I can validate their emotions. I can make sure they feel safe. I can make sure that they have the boundaries that they need in order to be protected. I can listen to their fears and take those into account and create parachutes with them so that they don't feel so alone and so afraid and that they feel like they can relax into trust with me. So I will go in and take these wounded parts of my childhood self and adopt them. And now I become the parent to that childhood self. And when they're afraid or something comes up that triggers them, we now have a relationship where they know they can come to me and I'm going to take their feelings seriously. I'm going to validate what they're feeling. I'm going to problem solve with them about what would help them feel more comfortable or maybe even why they don't need to be afraid because of what my plan is and how we're going to move forward and help them feel like they have a responsible adult that cares about them, that will validate them, that is emotionally healthy themselves, that can navigate our future in a way that can help them relax. Really important. So if you get to this place and you have a clear vision of who you're afraid of or what you're afraid of, often it is linked to some event in the past or some person in the past, and you can reparent your inner child in that way. And then last to wrap up, I really love something that Chris Burris says. He says, instead of my inner critic. So he quit using the words my inner critic because when you label a part of yourself as this is your function, it doesn't feel like it can choose any other function. And the cool thing about our parts is they can choose different functions if they want to. 
if it's no longer needed as an inner critic, if it doesn't have to use that pattern, then it can choose to be your inner mentor or your inner cheerleader or your inner champion. It can be something that is much more celebratory and feels healthier and more joyful and more like energetic and productive when it doesn't feel like it has to be constantly nagging you and telling you all the ways that you might fail or that you are broken or that you're a disappointment. Instead of calling it your inner critic, which denotes that this is all this part can do, he likes to change his language to the part that has learned harshness as a way to help. So not only does that denote that their intention is to help, which allows us to be more compassionate and kind and accepting of this part of ourselves, but also gives it wiggle room to change and learn new, maybe more productive behaviors that allow us to get that same goal, that same intention of succeeding and connecting and growing without all of the negative side effects that lead to anxiety and depression. And as our protector parts begin to trust and to feel that we will listen to them and take their concerns seriously, they open up to new ways of being. So the safer our parts feel with us, the more accepted they feel, the more they feel like they can open up to possibilities of doing something different and of trusting you at the steering wheel not feeling like they have to control everything to keep you safe, but feeling like they can trust you to problem solve with them. Honestly, learning about internal family systems has been one of the biggest game changers for me. It has been one of the biggest ways I've learned how to give myself compassion, how to hold myself accountable, how to change problematic behaviors that have been standing in my way for years how to understand myself better, um, and even how to move through difficulties that I come across. I've been working with my own inner critic now for 12 years, and I'm actually convinced I don't just have one inner critic. I have several. I have several different protectors that, you know, have protected several different parts of myself over the years. And so sometimes I'll make a great friendship with one inner critic or with a dozen of them. And sometimes something will happen and a new inner critic comes up or a new protector of some sort will come up. That doesn't mean you've done it wrong. It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean this doesn't work. It just means it's time to get curious and make a new friend. My hope is that for the rest of our lives, when behaviors come up that don't serve us, when we feel triggered, when we feel really fragile, when we find ourselves wanting to dehumanize others because they make us feel uncomfortable with some part of ourselves, that we will do this work to sit with ourselves, that we'll do the work to get curious about what this part is experiencing, what their function is, what they're hoping to achieve, what they're worried will happen if they don't do it the way they've always done it, and brainstorming with them about if they would be willing to do it a different way or to try things on. My hope is that we'll become so adept at doing this with ourselves that when we run across a person that is critical or does try to shame us or dehumanize us, that we can get curious with them too, the way we do with our inner parts. 
that instead of being triggered and having our protectors come in and try to defend us from our old mechanisms, we can actually sit and say, why do you feel like you need to be harsh and critical with me? What are you hoping that will accomplish? Tell me what you're afraid of. Help me understand you. The better we get at sitting with the parts of ourselves and allowing them to feel safe with us and to trust us, and the more they know that we're curious, the better we're able to do that with people outside of ourselves. And the more we can do that, the more we're able to reach across the aisle and problem solve some of the most profound problems that are in our world. When we're able to have difficult conversations, not from a place of defensiveness, but from a place of curiosity and a place of wanting to really understand what it's like to be the other person, we automatically create places of safety where we can begin to move forward together. This is my hope for all of us, both personally and as communities. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I will see you next Sunday.